So already uh, in the service we prayed. Kara just led us in prayer. We'll be praying a few more times before the service ends. So evidently we are a church that recognizes the importance of prayer. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we understand what prayer is or how it works. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would probably acknowledge that many of us have questions about prayer. We wonder, would the results turn out the same, whether we prayed or didn't pray? And we wonder at times if God even is out, out there listening to us and if he even really cares. Well, when it comes to this matter of having questions regarding prayer, we're not alone. 2,000 years ago, the disciples came to Jesus with a question. They had observed him praying, getting, I'm sure, marvelous results from his requests. And so they asked him, as recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 1, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? We've observed you doing this. How about you now instructing us in this matter of prayer? It's the only time recorded in the Gospels that the disciples actually asked Jesus to provide them with instruction about something. It has to do with this whole matter of prayer. In response, Jesus gave them and us some wonderful teaching that really answers many of our questions. It's referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And so this morning we begin a seven-part series on the Lord's Prayer. Yet even though it's referred to as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus never prayed it. He couldn't pray it for the simple reason that at one point it requests that we confess our sins, forgive us our debts or our sins. And of course, Jesus never sinned. So he couldn't pray uh, that aspect of the prayer. Instead, Matthew tells us in his gospel that Jesus gave it to us as a pattern or a blueprint to follow. So what we read in Matthew 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray our Father in heaven. So it's an outline or a, a skeleton regarding this matter of prayer. However, in Luke's account of the exact same prayer, more than likely Jesus gave instruction along these lines on several occasions, and in his instruction, Jesus also, we learn, gave it to us as a form to use. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Sometimes people wonder if it's appropriate to recite the Lord's Prayer. Well, in light of the fact that Jesus says, when you pray, say, yes, it's appropriate if two things are true. Number one, you understand the meaning of this prayer. And number two, it represents the desires of your heart. Why do I say that? Well, because Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew introduces his teaching about the Lord's Prayer with a word of caution. This is what he says to us. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And so yes, while this prayer may be recited, primarily Jesus has given us this teaching as a blueprint or a guideline or a model to follow. And the amazing thing to me is that this prayer really includes everything in principle. In other words, there's a sense in which you really can't add anything to the Lord's Prayer. It's all inclusive. 
It's made up of a preface. Some would refer to it as an introduction or an invocation, our Father in heaven, followed by six requests or petitions. Now notice this chart, and you'll notice that the first three have reference to God and his glory. We're going to learn in this series that true prayer always begins with God and the issues that are on his heart and mind. So the key pronoun here is, of course, your Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then we have the shift where we move on to pray for the matters that are on our hearts, our good. Chief uh, pronoun here is us. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. So this is a series that we hope will be very practical. We hope it's going to enable us to wrestle with a lot of our unanswered questions. Questions like, what is prayer? How does prayer work? Does prayer change the mind of God? In other words, if it's God perhaps moving in this particular direction. We pray and he decides to change his mind. And what about prayer and the sovereignty of God? If God is absolutely sovereign, as the scripture teaches, ordaining all things whatsoever comes to pass, and he knows everything, why do we have to tell him what's going on in our lives? Why do we have to share our hurts and our problems with him if he already knows what they are? So how about prayer and the sovereignty of God? Or there's this painful question. How come when I prayed for the healing of a loved one, God didn't answer my prayer and that loved one died? So we're going to be dealing with many of these practical questions throughout the course of this series. I think the, the place to begin, though, the question with which to start, which really in terms of our answer is going to impact all of the others, is this question. Is God even interested in relating to me? Does he listen to me? Does he even care about what's going on in my life? Jesus' answer to that question comes to us in this preface. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Now, this simple phrase in which we get to call God Father was one of the most radical ideas Jesus ever shared. Now, maybe it doesn't come across to you as all that radical, particularly if you were born and sort of raised in a church atmosphere. Maybe you recall every Sunday going to church and there would be the pastoral prayer and every Sunday would end with everybody reciting the words of the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may have had that kind of a background, in which case it's not going to strike you as all of that radical. But as a New Testament scholar named Jeremiah points out, three conclusions about calling God Father. Number one, he mentions there are some 14 times in the Old Testament where God is compared to a father, but never, never do you find anybody in the Old Testament ever addressing God as father. Now, I don't know the reason for that. I could speculate. One speculation would be that maybe God desired to, uh, in the process of further revelation, wait until the coming of Jesus in the New Testament era to reveal calling God Father, or, I don't know, maybe the Jews felt it was too flippant. Calling God Father was disrespectful, it was irreverent. 
so they wouldn't have done it even if they had heard about it. I don't know. But at any rate, first conclusion it comes to, nowhere in the Old Testament is God ever addressed in prayer as Father. Secondly, we come to the time of Jesus, and he points out, conclusion number two, that Jesus did it almost every, every time. There's only one exception, one time where we have a recorded prayer of Jesus in which he doesn't address God as Father, but all the other times, that's exactly what he's doing. So you don't have any revelation of this in the Old Testament. Jesus is doing it practically all the time. Third conclusion, Jesus here authorizes each one of us to talk to God as Father. In other words, it lets us know right at the beginning that God is not some distant, meaningless force. You know, he's not the personification of good or power or something nebulous like that. He's a person. And because he's a person, we can have a connection or a relationship with him. Ah, but here's the problem. Because for many of us, this term father conjures up all kinds of negative images and perhaps sends some of us back to some very painful, difficult childhood memories of a father who for you was abusive, argumentative, angry, left you feeling because of his perfectionistic standards um, like you were a nobody, you really didn't even count, even filling you with guilt at times, frustration other times, or even fear. Then what we tend to do is to take all of those negative feelings and we transfer them to God so that we say, well, if God is like my earthly father, no, thank you, I'm not interested. So, if you grew up with an unreasonable father, you might think that God is unreasonable. He's gonna give you unreasonable standards and he's gonna make life absolutely miserable for you. On the other hand, if you grew up with an unreliable father, you're gonna think that God is unreliable. You can't depend upon God because you couldn't depend upon your earthly father. Or perhaps for some of the rest of us, Maybe you grew up with an unconcerned, emotionally detached father, and you might think, well, that God is distant and detached too. He can't be bothered with the likes of you. Or maybe you grew up with a demanding, perfectionistic father, so your best was never good enough. You never quite measured up. You never had your dad's approval, or for that matter, his acceptance. If we transfer those kinds of emotions to God, and we never really appropriately process them in a way that brings us a measure of healing, you will never know the kind of intimacy with God that he longs to have with you. So this is very important stuff. In America today, Luke, I don't know if you found this to be true or JT in your work with students, but um, 24 million children, try to get your head around that number. 24 million children in the United States today live in a home without a father. And it makes me wonder, what kind of image are they getting of, of God? I recall reading the stories of 50 of the world's famous, famous atheists. 
uh, guys like Freud and Marx and Nietzsche and Lenin and many, many others. And this story mentions that there's one thing that all of these famous atheists had in common. That is, they all hated their dads. Not a single one of them had an appropriate relationship with their father. So it would be very easy for them to say, well, I can't connect with God either. So today, as we begin this series, we're going to focus on just these words of this preface, Father in Heaven. My goal is twofold. Number one, that you would trade in any misconceptions you have about God for the truth. And so for those of us, and I include myself here because this is my background too, for those of us who had earthly fathers who were unreasonable, unreliable, unconcerned, perfectionistic, you know, and, and, and we struggled with having a relationship with God, I want to point out something to you from this text that may not be a big deal for you, but it was a big deal for me. And so maybe it'll be a step in your healing, okay? And that is to recognize it doesn't say your father. It's not talking about your father. It's talking about a very different kind of father, our father in heaven. And so maybe those words will help you to address any issues of mistrust or distance or guilt or shame. And you can begin to take some baby steps today to connect with a father like you've never done before. Or maybe, and here's a second goal, maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years, but you know, in all honesty, you'd have to say, I've never really connected with God in a meaningful way where I sense that he personally loves me. I'm hoping and praying that throughout this seven-week series, you're going to connect with God in ways that are fresh and life-changing, and you'll be gripped by the reality of his love and his concern for you as perhaps never before. So the key question I want to try to answer this morning is this question, what kind of father is God? Our father in heaven, okay, what kind of a father is God? And I think that the scriptures answers that question in at least four ways that I want to share with you. You might, you might want to write these down in your sermon notes section there. And uh, the first of the four is this. He's a caring father. He's a caring father. Okay? God wants you to know that he cares about you. He loves you and he's interested in you. You can never experience a heartache, a pain, a problem, a worry, a need, a fear that he doesn't care about in your life. Psalm 103, probably one of those 14 times in the Old Testament where God is compared to an earthly father, says this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. Now there may be times when we feel God really doesn't care. And if you've ever felt that way, I want you to know you're in good company. The disciples felt that way on occasion. One time, they're out in a boat with Jesus. And many of the disciples are veteran fishermen. They had fished the waters of this large lake called the Sea of Galilee on many occasions. They knew how the wind could have these downdrafts coming off the mountains and churning up and creating the storm conditions on the lake. Sure enough, that's exactly what had happened. The boat that they're in is taking on water. <laughs> What's Jesus doing? He's in the back of the boat asleep. 
And so they wake him up and they say this in Mark 4, 38, Lord, don't you even care that we're going to drown? Lord, don't you care? Have you ever wanted to ask him that question? God, I just lost my job, don't you care? God, my parents are splitting up, don't you care? God, the medical report says I've got advanced cancer, don't you care? Whatever it is that's going on in your life, you feel like asking him, don't you care? And the answer comes back, boy, do I ever care about you. Constantly I care about you. You have a heavenly father who cares to the point where his purposes for your life are never going to be frustrated or thwarted by the problems and the issues and the pain that's going on in your life today or any other day. Now, it's often in these painful, difficult moments and seasons that we experience the depth of God's care as never before. And so the same, one of the same disciples who was in this boat on one occasion asking Jesus, don't you care, had obviously learned some things about the character of God. Because a few years later, he's writing to a group of Christians who were struggling going through painful times. And this is now the advice that he gives them. The same disciple who said, don't you care, is writing now these words. Give all your worries and cares to God. He's talking about prayer. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? Because he cares about what happens to you. Now look at that verse. And you notice the first underlined word, all. Is there anything that isn't included in the word all? I mean, does, it, does God care about your job? Does God care about your house payment? Does God care about your date life? Does he care about the fact you're, you're single and maybe you want to get married? Or you're married and it's a painful situation? Does God care about that? Does God care about the fact that you and your spouse are, tr are struggling with infertility issues? Does God care about the success or failure of your business startup? Is there anything that God doesn't care about? And the answer is no. Not a single thing, because he cares about every detail of your life. So you have a choice to make. You can either allow your circumstances to shape your view of the character of God so that you conclude he doesn't care, or you can allow a biblically informed understanding of the character of God to shape how you respond to your circumstances. But you can't have it both ways. So, you end up then praying maybe something like this. God, I hate what's going on in my life right now. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I want you to change it. But I'm going to trust you that you know best. You really do care for me. And so I'm going to entrust everything to you realizing you've, you're going to use this somehow for my ultimate good and your glory. God, first of all, is a caring father. And may we never forget that. Number two, he's faithful. He's a faithful dad, faithful father. Father, God will never, ever let you down. He's reliable. He's dependable. He's worthy of your trust. Now look at this verse from James 1. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Okay, how is this Father described by James? Who does not change like shifting shadows. You know, some fathers do change. They're unpredictable. And it causes teenagers, for example, to say things like, I never know what to expect from my dad. I mean, one minute he's Mr. Silent, next minute he's Mr. Violent. You know, one minute he's the enforcer, and the next minute he's Mr. Easy. I don't get it. I can't connect with him either. Can't figure him out. And inconsistent fathers produce insecure children. God is a consistent father. He isn't moody. He isn't temperamental. He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. He's never grouchy until he gets his first cup of coffee in the morning. You know, none of that is true. He loves you as much on your bad days and when you screw up as he does on your good days when you're doing right things. You know why? Because his love for you is not based on your performance. None at all. So his love and care are constant. Look at 2 Timothy 2. If we are faithless, he will remain, what? Faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Isn't that awesome? I mean, even when I'm unfaithful, even when I'm, you know, inconsistent or unreliable, God can be counted on because he's faithful. And that's good news, living as we do in a world that is constantly changing. Let me ask you, has your personal world changed at all in the last two years? You know, due to things like COVID, did it impact in any way your vacation plans, your travel plans? How about the educational plans of your kids? Did that change? Oh yeah, did it ever. I mean, yeah, big time. And now look at what's going on in the world. You know, when inflation issues and a war going on in Ukraine that's impacting prices here in the States and gas and other things. Boy, I tell you, that's really impacted me. This Tuesday, Valerie and I were scheduled to leave for Ukraine. Obviously, that's not going to happen. It was to be our 30th year of ministry in that country. So we're grieving the pain of that reality. So we live in a world that's constantly changing. But the reality is the one thing you can count on is that God cares about you and loves you and is going to be faithful in carrying out his purpose and plan for your life. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. I made a list the other day of some things about God that never change. It's a short list, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but uh, here are three things. Number one, God's life doesn't change. This is incredible to me. I mean, he doesn't grow older. He doesn't gain new powers or new wisdom as we're constantly doing as we learn new things about life. He doesn't lose the powers or the energy or the strength or the wisdom that he has. He does, never suffers from dementia kinds of issues. It says, you remain the same and your years will never end. His character doesn't change. God is, at this precise moment, 10.17 a.m., exactly what he was in the days of Abraham and Isaac and all the other patriarchs and the kings and the judges and the prophets and the apostles throughout the New Testament era. He is constantly the same. It says, my God is changeless in his love for me. And then his word doesn't change. 
That's good to remember, especially when we're told that one cause of resentment in children are the broken promises of their parents. Don't worry, son, we're go I'm going to take you fishing. Don't worry, you know, we're going to go to that game. I'm going to buy you that outfit. Yeah, and it never happens, okay? So what happens? Well, it creates issues, doesn't it? Well, God isn't that way. What a God he is, it says in Psalm 18. How perfect in every way all his promises prove true. We sang about that in one of the songs this morning. A pastor that I know named, we'll just call him Tom. I mean, that's his name. Let's call him Tom. He tells the story of growing up with a father who suffered with schizophrenia. Some days Tom would say that my dad was disconnected from the world. Other days he was just abusive and angry. So Tom is in the Chicago area speaking at this uh, church in that area. And he happened to mention to the congregation about his dad suffering from schizophrenia. So this woman comes up to Tom after the service, introduces herself, and um, thanks him for the message, and goes on to say, you know, um, my dad suffered from mental illness too. In fact, and she paused, and then continued, my father ended up murdering my mom. And at that moment, I mean, you could just sense Tom, oh man, what a, how do I respond? How does anybody respond to that, right? And so he could only say, oh wow, I am so sorry about your loss, but you've told me you're a believer. So how in the world did you ever break through the barrier of understanding that you have a father in heaven who loves you and cares about you. And she went on to say that one day I realized my heavenly father allowed his son to die on a piece of wood, that I would experience his grace of forgiveness and, and his mercy. And at that moment I realized God wanted to be the father that I never had. That's my story. What excited me about the gospel as a 12-year-old boy was hearing a message about the gospel and how God wanted me to be his child, that he wanted to be the father that I never had. I know some of you, in all honesty, can pray today, God, I thank you for my earthly dad. He wasn't perfect. But I know he cared about me, he loved me, we did things together, and best of all, my dad introduced me to you. That would be great. Others of us, frankly, need to let God be the father we never had. And maybe our prayer is very different. Maybe it's, Lord, I was disappointed by my earthly father, but you'll never disappoint me. I was abandoned by my earthly dad, I'll never be abandoned by you. Or God, I wasn't loved by my earthly father, but you're a father who will always love me. God is a caring father and he's faithful. Thirdly, he's available. In other words, he's nearby when you need him. Look at what the apostle Paul says in a message he uh, recorded in Acts 17. God is not far from each one of us. So he's available, he's nearby. For in him we live and move and have our being. 
I don't know, maybe some of you grew up with an absentee father. Maybe he uh, walked out from you and your mom. Maybe when you were a teenager, your parents divorced and you rarely, if ever, had any con connection with your dad after that point. Maybe, maybe he was always, you know, physically around, but you just got the sense emotionally that he was always thinking about something else. And he really couldn't be bothered with the likes of you. So your father was not really significantly involved in your life. It's no wonder that you might have a hard time connecting with God in this way as your father, but that's not the way it is with him because he's available. So let me share with you three thoughts from scripture about just how available God is for you. All right, number one, it says that God is never too busy for you. So when you pray, He's never going, you're never going to get a recorded message. Hi, this is God. Uh, I'm away from my throne right now. Uh, please leave a message at the tone and I'll get back to you maybe in a few years. No, what does it say? If you know how to, excuse me, that's the next verse. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And then he's a God who loves to meet your needs. You know, I sense that in many of you dads and granddads who are here, you're constantly doing things for your kids and your grandkids. You'll take them all over. You know, you freeze to death out in the winter as you're there for some practice or sporting event. You're there in the summer, you know, sweating like crazy. You take them all over the place. You're constantly doing kind and gracious things for your kids, your grandkids. Jesus picks up on that thought and in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he argues based on what dads do that are like that, he argues from the lesser to the greater. Look at his argument. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, and many of you dads and granddads do, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then he's sympathetic to your hurts. Maybe some of your fathers weren't very sympathetic, weren't very caring, but it says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's available. One way from the text that helps us to understand his availability is to realize that Jesus spoke Aramaic. And in Aramaic, the word for father is the word Abba. It's a word that even adult children would use back in the day to address their dads, Abba, okay? But of course, it would be one of the first words that an infant would even learn. It's like our Papa or Dada, Abba, okay? It's a term of endearment or intimacy indicating that God wants you to connect with him in a very intimate kind of way. For some of you, he wants to be the father you never had. For others of us, he wants to be a wonderful father because he's crazy about you. All right, number four, God is a competent father. Whatever problems we have, he can handle them because he's competent. Now, where in the text do we learn that? Well, it's picked up in this last phrase, our father, and then it says, in heaven. What does that mean? Well, um, it's not heaven with a capital H. No, it's not. 
The original Greek says, our Father in the heavens. So it's not talking about heaven, capital H. It's talking about the universe above us and about us. It's indicating that the presence and glory of God fill the heavens and the earth. In other words, it's a phrase that draws our attention to his absolute sovereignty. So here then in these two phrases, our Father in the heavens or in heaven, are, are two rules that we must always remember concerning prayer. You know what those two rules are? One, who God is. Two, who you are. Those are the two rules about prayer that we need always to remember. So who is God? He's your father. Who are you? You're his deeply loved child. Who is God? He's the absolute sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. Who are you? You're his dependent creature. And so here are some terms that help us to avoid two dangers about prayer. One is thinking God doesn't care about me. Oh yeah, he does, he's your father. And the other is coming before him in a flippant, irreverent, disrespectful manner. Oh no, he's the sovereign Lord who is competent and can do all things. Well, all of this raises certain questions for me, maybe also for you. One is, is God the father of everyone? I mean, is everybody God's child? Well, the answer is yes and no. How do you like that for an answer? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that everybody has been created in the image of a personal God. So in that sense, he's the father of everyone. But that doesn't mean that everybody has a relationship with God and can call him Abba, okay? So there's certainly much more to parenting than just having kids. A father can say, I've got you know, 20 kids, but not necessarily have a relationship with any of them. So yes, everyone is God's child in the sense he created all of us, but in another sense, those who are God's children are those who have a personal connection to him a loving connection. Well, that raises another question. If we're not all God's children, how do we become God's children? Well, um, this verse answers that question. We are now children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So God is saying to some of you today, if you wanna become part of my family, if you wanna become my child, if you want to know my caring, consistent love, put your trust in my son, Jesus. And for the rest of us who have already addressed that issue in our lives, we're entrusting ourselves to Christ this morning. May you know that God is your caring, available, capable father 24-7 in a permanent relationship. And so may we be encouraged today and every day throughout this series and certainly well beyond to get to know him, to turn to him, confident that he'll be there to meet all of our needs. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being this compassionate and grace-filled, capable, caring father. Help us then to open up our very lives to you and when your answer comes back in a way that we don't particularly like or is unexpected, 
Help us to trust that your answer always reflects what we really need and what is for our ultimate good and for your glory. So as we continue to learn throughout this series from this model prayer, teach us as a congregation, teach us as families, as kids and parents, as single adults, teach us individually how to pray. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.